We we always tell the same anecdotes of like Nathan Killam talking about his bagpipe championship winning days and like like oh that would have been amazing on tape but we didn't we didn't have it. You're like dang it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you weren't uh, you weren't a champion bagpiper, were you? Gosh, I was not. I don't think I did anything but <laughs> swim growing up. So <laughs> so sad. Well, at least it's paid off. I guess. I guess. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And today we have a very popular athlete who's uh, one of my favorites and probably the universally agreed happiest person in triathlon um, and also a phenomenal swimmer. Uh, We have Lauren Brandon joining us today. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I think uh, between you and I, our history actually goes back to, uh, I think we first met at the the wind tunnel in Arizona um, and it was probably shortly after Ventum launched. So that was kind of when you you got your your start with them. But uh, I mean, it's been quite a road so far. You've uh, established yourself as one of the dominant swimmers in the the sport, um, often out swimming all of the men. Um, <laughs> and even in one case, uh, I think it was the first race I actually saw you at, you not only outswam the men, but you passed them, even though they had a, a lead. And this was at um, uh, Ironman Mont-Tremblant, I think in 2016 or 2017. And that actually, I think, caused a rule change with a, a bigger <laughs> offset. So it's the, the Lauren, Lauren Brandon rule to uh, to allow <laughs> the men not to feel... <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so bad about not being great swimmers. But uh, no, it's fantastic to have you. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time on the show. And it's so fantastic what you've done for the sport. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did meet at the wind tunnel. I think that's right when I signed with Ventum. So I think five years ago. It's been a long journey for uh, for both you and Ventum, and we've had Dia on the show, and he was actually the first person to do his own introduction. Um, <laughs> he just took it me. over. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's the opposite of me. He he's very good at talking and doesn't mind talking about himself. I love it. <laughs> so, Lauren, why don't we start with uh, a little bit of background for for our listeners? I mean, most most of them probably have a very good idea of who you are, but uh, just you know your history in the sport and how you got into triathlon lawn um to to give us a uh give us a, a, a somewhat well-rounded understanding of lauren's sporting history yeah well like andrew said i started out as a swimmer when i was five started swimming on a year-round swim team and swam all the way through college and then went to olympic trials in 2008 and that kind of ended my swim career and my husband we were still boyfriend girlfriend at the time but he had been a professional he was already a professional triathlete so I knew after my swim career, I wanted to try out triathlon and see what it was about. And our kind of thinking was that I would be an ITU athlete because of my strong swim background. Sure. He's like, oh, yeah, then the bike, you just have to ride. It's fine. And then we'll teach you to run. (laughs) So my first pro, I did three races and then started as a a professional triathlete. And it was an ITU race. And... (laughs) I came out of the water, got dropped in transition and just like kept moving back through the path. And then I think had the slowest 5k out of everyone. And he's like, Oh, okay. 
we have to work on stuff a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, we kept trying to do ITU and it just really wasn't for me. I was so nervous in a pack and um, my running just simply wasn't fast enough. But fortunately at the time they had the non-draft Olympic events, life, Lifetime and High V series. Mm-hmm. So I was able to race 15, 20 times a year, um, just racing all over doing Olympic non-draft events, which was, you know, which is so fun and just great for my development as an athlete, like just getting in that race experience. And um, so I really enjoyed that. But in about 2015, as they were kind of pulling back, I was ready for something new and started some 70.3s and then 2016 Ironmans. So I've been, I would call myself definitely more of an Ironman athlete. Um, I'm better at the longer stuff, I think. And, but yeah, so it's been since 2016 and still getting better. I still think I have my best years ahead of me. So, yeah. Well, you've definitely been putting on a good show lately. Um, I know it's been a, a, cuff, a tough couple of years for everyone, but um, I think you you admitted you had some not ideal races earlier this year, and then you came back in Hamburg. And I mean, we were talking before the show about this, but uh, I, I was watching the coverage and it was basically the, the Lauren Brandon show for six and a half hours. <laughs> and all the, the commentators did was talk about how phenomenal your swim stroke was and how perfect it was um, because you were like the only one in the picture. They couldn't even zoom out far enough to see anyone else. And then you got on the bike and they were talking about, look at how perfect her back position is. And she spends all this time working on her aerodynamics and spends you know time on the trainer in aero position which is something, you know, I wish I did more of. Um, but it was, I mean, it's uh, it's a really interesting position you found yourself in because you are so dominant in the swim and a phenomenal biker. And, um, and like you said, the run, you know, it's coming along, but um, it puts you in a position where you get so much exposure, especially with the Ironman Now coverage, um, that, uh, you know, sponsors must be clamoring to get a piece of your, your brand because, all you can do is look at a, a race that you're in and guaranteed they will see you for minutes, if not hours at a time. So how, how has that really impacted your, uh, I guess, the way you've um, established yourself and the way you're marketing yourself and looking for sponsorship? Gosh, good question. Again, like talking about myself is very difficult for me and still like, you know, even though I know I'm kind of an established athlete, it's really hard for me to reach out to sponsors and, you know, try and work out a partnership because it's just not what I like to do. But, um, but for me, it's just, it's really important to find those sponsors that I'm going to be with long-term. And like I said, I've been with Ventum for five, six years. Um, but yeah, I think I remember at, um, uh, my first Ironman world championship. So I think that was 2017 and, you know, Lucy was first out of the water. I was second out of the water and we were, we rode together almost the whole bike and I came off the bike in third. And that was really the first time I was like, oh, wow, like the amount of exposure I get being at the front is something unique, like you said. And um, like, even though I think I ended up walking part of the marathon and, you know, I was on the coverage for yeah, six, seven hours. And <laughs> so I think that was the first time when we were you know, trying to get new sponsors, like telling them, Hey, like, this is my story. You can see me for a long time. Like I do get a lot of exposure and kind of trying to use that. Like we were trying to add up the amount of hours that 
of exposure in a year that I got like from the swim and bike. And so, yeah, that was kind of the first time I really realized it is something unique. A lot of people are in a different situation. Like you see extremely fast runners, but they're coming from the back and you don't Mm -hmm. hear about them until, you know, maybe way later in the marathon or Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they just show up and they're like third and you're like, Oh wow. Where'd that person come from? So it is different. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful. I think now I've established a really good set of sponsors that I believe I will be with, you know, until the end of my career. And then I, because I really like more, um, you know, a family partnership. Like I want to have a, like the relationship with sponsors are really important to me. And yeah, I just want to kind of hold on to the ones that I really enjoy working with and that it's a good relationship. Well, the, the reality is for triathlon, uh, we're not talking about professional basketball or professional baseball where you're making hundreds of millions of dollars in a contract. Um, so unfortunately, triathletes are often left to fend for themselves because only the the most successful are able to even make ends meet with race winnings. And most of your, your income has to come from um, from sponsorship and a lot of triathletes also leave behind otherwise good careers in order to pursue the sport so it's definitely driven by passion but um yeah it's uh it's a huge part of it and just to continue in the sport you need to have a combination of a good support network um good sponsors and then backed up by good race performances yeah exactly i mean to be honest there's no way i could do this without my husband like who has a proper job and who has a monthly <laughs> income because yeah, well, while I think I have established myself as a good athlete and, you know, I can get good, some good results, it, it's not, um, I'm still not one of the best. And, you know, you're not seeing me win a ton of Ironmans or winning world championships. And so I think sponsorship in triathlon right now is very tough. Mm. And like you said, there's only kind of the top people making a living at it. and with COVID and not racing, like I, you know, you have your sponsorship money, but yeah, a big part of it is, um, race income. And then the bonuses, like, I feel like the bonuses is where, you know, you get on the podium and you can make an extra few thousand dollars, whatnot with your bonuses. And so without that for, you know, the year and a half, that was pretty tough. And but now we kind of see tons of racing and you see <laughs> triathletes are just racing every weekend because we're like <laughs> trying to make up for the past year and a half. And, you know, now people are just getting injured and exhausted because we're, we're just trying to kind of make up for things. But um, it's fun for us spectators, though, because you get deep <laughs> fields everywhere. It's like every every weekend there's like a shootout race where where the, the depth of the field is astounding and like the quality right. of the competition. Now, even just if you look at uh uh, you know, course records are falling everywhere. If you're, okay. you know, like in, um, I was just reading Cody's post about, um, about Chu, about Chattanooga. And I think like four of them beat the course record. It's like, it's wild. This stuff doesn't usually happen. Uh, and it's just, it speaks to the, to the, you know, the, uh, how far the competition has come. And then everybody's racing. Like oh, there are so many high caliber athletes going after, after these races because yeah, you know, and, and it makes sense why, because everyone's starved for, for competition <laughs> and for like, you know, the kind of the, the financial support that comes with it. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. Like you said, every single weekend, the races are so stacked and like I'm racing 70.3 Memphis this weekend and you have uh second place, 70. 70- 
70.3 world champs and also the sixth place finisher at 70.3 world champs. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Deep. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, this sucks. But no, it's good. Like, it's fun that the races, they're a race. You know, I think before you you picked races like some people kind of picked races to make a paycheck like hey i'm gonna go here try and win make a big paycheck but now i feel like you can't do that you really um yeah like every race is tough and but it's good for the sport and you know most of us are in this like you said because we're passionate about it certainly not to make a living although we try and yeah we just love the sport and we want to race so i think it's been really fun to see all the races super stacked and just some great racing and fast racing as well mm-hmm. so um i guess we touched on covid a little bit and just kind of how hard it was for the entire sport what was your experience and and how did you keep yourself motivated what did you what did you do with yourself during covid <laughs> yeah covid was COVID was hard. Um, I had just gotten done. We got to put that on a t-shirt, you know, Lauren. COVID was hard. Um, Gosh, I had just gotten done with a really good training camp. I'm sure everyone says, I was in the best shape of my life. But but I really felt like I had just gotten done with one of my best training camps. And I was getting ready for Ironman St. George. Because, yeah, I'm only a few hours away from St. George. And it was going to be... The North American Championship. So I was getting ready for that. And, you know, the races started getting canceled. I was like, okay, well, this is kind of weird. And like, well, maybe things will happen in May. And yeah, then obviously everything shut down. And it, I mean, when that's all you do, it's like, what, mm-hmm. yeah, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I, I really started questioning things and wonder if, you know, should I be doing something else? Like, what if we're not racing for a super long time? I mean, I think none of us knew that it was going to be over a year of like not racing. Yeah. But yeah, it's very difficult. And I, I was someone who was not able just to like train super hard the whole time. I mean, I definitely took a break and I, I didn't feel like training. Like I wasn't, I'm not going to say I was depressed, but I was having a really hard time. And you know, you're just watching the news and it's, it is depressing watching what was happening and, mm-hmm. um, so tough. And when you have kind of nothing else to focus on or think about, um, yeah, trying to figure out what to do. So we took a step back, just trained a little bit and tried to do some fun things. Like, you know, we'd have some challenges with our training group. My coach is Julie Dibbins and you know, there's a lot of athletes under her. So mm-hmm. we tried to do some fun things in there. And then we did like a thousand K, um, bike week <laughs> and like, Just cause, did, right? <laughs> yeah, like, okay, sure. And, um, like we did a little four day biking trip across Colorado. So we tried to do some things that, like you said, would motivate us and keep us going. And then towards the end of summer, we realized, um, the PTO would put on the championships in Daytona. So that really mm-hmm. kind of kickstarted things for me and helped me get motivated to, yeah, put in a good training block and get ready for that. So that really helped me turn things around. And um, yeah, so that was in December. And ever since then, I feel like I've been in a good groove. Um, 
I had some health issues at the beginning of this year. That's why you didn't see me racing and kind of having a hard or difficult start to the year, but things are good now. And yeah, so now I'm just trying to get in some more races while I'm healthy and uh, able to train and race. That's awesome. Well, one interesting point you had there, and uh, I bring this up because we had a show about it a few weeks ago, but was just kind of the mental health challenges. Or um, you said, you know, you weren't fully in a depression, but you definitely lacked motivation. And I think that's a really common story for a lot of people. And a lot of athletes have really been put in a much harder place because at least, you know, the people who are still working, there were a lot of people who lost their jobs, unfortunately, but the people who um, who still had jobs, even though everything was closed down, they could look forward to work. But uh, for athletes, I mean, you had no idea. It wasn't even like you can really look for another job or another race. It was just off the table. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of me was like, huh, should I go work for Ventum for a while? Like, <laughs> should I go back to school and do some online stuff? I'm like, yeah, you really start kind of questioning what you're doing with your life because you feel like you're not doing anything. I mean, I felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything. And while I, I don't do this sport for money, it's you know, it still like gives you some satisfaction when you know, you're helping out the family and um, you're bringing in that income and you feel like, you know, you're, yeah, doing something and contributing. And so without that, I just, I don't know, it was tough, mm-hmm. but I had, you know, sponsors kind of tried to use us in different ways. So I tried to focus on that, like whether it was some videos or just creating some content for them. So I think you know, there are little things that we could do that kind of kept us going. And then this year, it's been great. I started coaching under Julie. And so I have some athletes and cool. that's kind of, that's been really fun because I coached swimming for a long time, kids swimming, um, that gave that up a few years ago. And when I started doing this full time, but it's been really good just to have a couple of athletes and have other people to focus on all the time besides my husband. <laughs> so <laughs> I've really enjoyed that. Um, just kind of bringing something different to the table and using my mind in a different way, which is good. Yeah, it's it's great to hear that you're able to adapt. And I've heard the same story about a lot of sponsors um, stepping up and, and trying to do what they could because, I mean, it's been hard for the sponsors too, because especially in the cycling industry, the supply chain has just been messed up. So anyone who's tried to buy a Shimano part in the last, well, <laughs> 18 months, uh, you're pretty much out of luck. So <laughs> It's insane. I mean, having a husband that works for Ventum, um, yeah, I see that side of things and I mean, they had like shipping containers just sitting in the water for months and they couldn't get their their parts. And I mean, it's been a disaster. But yeah, I I mean, I really feel for, I do feel for the sponsors and everyone in the industry because I know even my wetsuit sponsors, it's like, oh, it's hard to find neoprene. And I mean, just everything has been affected. It's absolutely insane. And um yeah, so I think trying to help them as well and understand the position that they are in and how difficult it's been for them as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard for everyone, right? Just not an easy couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, Lauren, I want to switch gears a little bit and uh, and talk about your training. And I'm always super curious with um, with athletes who have uh, an obvious strength, like with you in swimming. Um, how do you think about, or how do you and Julie think about um, allocating your training? Because that's not that's you know there are some folks that are kind of you know 
good all-rounders, but usually, at least on the in the amateur or age group, you know, adult onset ranks, we we come from from some kind of background, and then usually there's some really big gaps in the one or, one or two of the other sports. Usually swimming. <laughs> usually swimming. <laughs> usually no, that's swimming, right. yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I always joke that I like I swim two weeks before a race. That's when yeah. I start swimming. Yeah. Oh, I um, should get in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> race day is approaching. So anyway, uh, so how how do you how do you think about it? As a, as a pro, as a very high level athlete? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I definitely don't swim as much as some of Julie's other athletes. Um, but then sometimes talking to other pros, I realize I swim quite a bit, I think, compared to others. Um, we used to always try and shoot for 20K a week. And um, this year, just because of my health stuff, like we had to kind of take the hours down and focus so we kind of took away swimming and I'm swimming more like 14 K a week and the rest of my training is allocated to biking and running. Hmm. So swimming, you know, I have a couple good sessions each week and then maybe one just aerobic session, but yeah, I think that a lot of the intensity and the focus is on biking and running and, you know, I'm fortunate that my swimming background is so large. I mean, I had 20, you know, 20 plus years of swimming, uh, 20, yeah, 20 years of only swimming before triathlon. So I have a ton of yardage in me and I just don't really need to swim that much to kind of sustain my fitness, I guess. Um, my follow-up to that would be, uh, I know that, uh, you know, folks that I've worked with and actually my, me, myself, I, it, the, the things that you're good at are sometimes you're, you're kind of your happy place, right? So when, when for me and, you know, this is just personal experience. Um, and if, uh, if other things aren't going well, I'm going to default to the things that feel good and, and feel, you know, less, less taxing. So do you ever feel that way when you're like in a rough patch and be like, you know what, I'm just going to go swim because I know I can do this. I know it feels good. I know I'm very competent at it. Uh, does that ever happen? <laughs> actually, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, love it. Okay. So I actually, I wouldn't say that I love swimming. Um, mm. I, because I did it for so long, um, and I wasn't forced to do it. I'm not going to say that, but it's what got me a full ride, you know, a full scholarship to college. And mm. I was just always really good at it. And so I, kept with it, but I certainly went through many years of hating swimming and just doing it because I was good at it. And that's how I was putting myself through college. And so now I would say if I wasn't triathlete, I'd probably never get in the water. So, ah. so I actually loved COVID and I didn't have to swim for seven weeks. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, it's such an interesting perspective. I, uh, I, yeah. It makes me, it makes me feel, gives me kind of like, uh, you know, no, what's the what's the word? It uh, justifies my own lack, my own <laughs> lack of desire in swimming, coming from the diametrically opposed end of it, of course. But, yeah, I was going to say, did you were you competitively swimming for oh, twenty yeah, years, I was Michael? In my in my bathtub <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've started to love to like it a little bit more. Um, I think lately it's been nice. I just have my three swim sessions a week, so I'm not in the pool that much. I, mm-hmm. you know, bang out my four k in an hour and can be done. Um, but it, it, it's a lot more fun when you can be in a group and, you know, when I go to Boulder totally. and I train with the group, it's definitely a lot more fun. It's just, I swim here by myself and, um, yeah, it is what it is, but 
yeah, I get it done. <laughs> well, I've heard from, and I've noticed with a lot of uh, pro athletes or people who specialized in a certain sport that they kind of, um, they fall off the wagon a little bit. Um, so you, you see this a lot with cycling commentators, uh, and I hate to single them out, but, uh, since 1989, Greg LeMond is not looking quite as spelt as he did. Um, don't but, pick on older people, Andrew. That's, 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 that's but, fucking down, man. Andrew being mean. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this is Andrew being mean, everybody. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a common thing. You see this with a lot of, uh, pro athletes where they do a sport for so long with so much intensity that as soon as they retire, they're like, I never want to do this again. And then they get into habits, especially eating habits, uh, where mm-hmm. like you're eating 4,000, 5,000 calories a day. And that's hard to pull back on when you're not burning that amount. And it's, it's very easy. And and Greg, I'm sorry if you're listening. I did not mean to <laughs> did not mean to take a personal shot at you, but uh, but it's it, it is a very common thing. You see this across like uh, NFL players, especially because they're typically very muscular. Um, but they just mm-hmm. absolutely let themselves go after they retire, and it's not long after. But um, it's very easy, I think, for pro athletes to just get sick of what they do because it's it's no longer fun in some cases. I think some enjoy it, but. In some cases, they just lose the passion because they've done it for so many years. And it sounds like you, you still enjoy it, but you're not at the point where it's the, the driving passion that you have. Exactly. And, you know, in 2008, once I was done with my swim career, I didn't get in the pool for probably over a year until I was doing a triathlon. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I better get back in the pool. <laughs> um, yeah, like and so many of my friends from university have not gotten back in the pool or they get in one time just to like make sure they can still do it, you know, like once a year. Um, so it is fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. I it would be interesting to see if like runners were the same or I don't know, like for me, it's just something about getting at a pool. Oh God. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's, let's talk, uh, let's, let's move up the next spot in the, in the sporting order and talk a little bit about the bike. Um, I have a couple questions for you here, but, uh, you know, Andrew mentioned the commentators talking about how your position's, you know, really great. And, uh, you know, certainly the kind of the, the, the slow twitch wind tunnel, as we've been calling it, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, you, you look super duper fast, right? Like you're, you know, the, classically the position looks amazing. Um, and I know that uh, obviously you and Andrew did work in the tunnel with Ventum back in the day. So what are you, what, what, what are you still doing to, uh, to kind of, uh, to make, to stay on top of that, uh, aerodynamic game of yours? Uh, is there, is there anything or are you, or is it, or is it based on the work that you guys did, uh, five years ago? Yeah. I mean, I would say a lot of it was, just initially due to Ventum going into the wind tunnel. And then, I mean, I worked with Stack and we did, you know, kind of a fo- couple follow-ups um, maybe a couple years after that. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, since then, like I haven't changed that much. I go in, I see Ivan O'Gorman um, from Boulder and, you know, he's my bike fitter. And so when we're, you know, obviously the Ventum one disc just came out this year. So I saw him this year and, we had to change things a little bit, but, you know, we had at the beginning of 20, I think 2019, it was 2018. Gosh, they all run together. <laughs> <Years> but, <are laughs> now, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but Ivan and I, we went into even a more aggressive position. And after a couple races, we found that just was not working for me. Like I could not run off the bike. Mm-hmm. And even though I was really comfortable, cause I, I am quite flexible. Um, 
yeah, I just could not run off the bike. So we changed things. We kind of went into a less aggressive position and yeah, I've kind of not made too many changes since then. Um, I do, I'll probably see him again this year and see if there's just anything else he thinks I should be doing or little tweaks, you know, just kind of maybe getting some new air bars and my hands, I just kind of want up just a little bit more because the angles Mm -hmm. I found in an Ironman, (laughs) my wrists are getting a little stiff. So I just want to bring those up a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I ride the trainer all the time. I'm in arrow, I'm comfortable. And I kind of feel like a big part of, um, you know, people in their aerodynamics, it's not always just yeah, how aggressive the position can be or whatever. It's just if you're comfortable and, mm-hmm. you know, you see they're like, oh, yeah, in the wind tunnel, this is amazing. This is super fast <laughs> and I'm arrow and this will be great. But it's like, well, you get out outside and then in an Ironman where you're riding for, you know, four or five, six hours, however long races and they can't keep that position. You see their head moving around. You see, you know, their body shifting all the time. And you're like, if you can't hold the position, then there's no point to it. Right. So, right. Yeah. I think I'm just super fortunate that through Ventum and stock and Ivan, I'm in a super comfortable position that I could hold all day long. Well, this is, this is purely conjecture, but I wonder if your swimming background actually helps you there where you've got the stronger shoulders and more of the upper body strength than a lot of triathletes do. Um, so oh, I, maybe that's, that's an impact. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I, I can just compare myself to like my husband, for example, who is the least flexible person out there, like <laughs> cannot touch his toes and I then come close. And even in his swim days was never super flexible. And so he got on a TT bike and, you know, he had to find a position that was comfortable for him. And yeah, his shoulders just could not do some things or his back. And, hmm. um, yeah, so I don't know if it's, yes, yeah, swimming and kind of helping me be more flexible or uh, just, just how I was made, but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, but if it, it works, right. Work. <laughs> yeah. If it works, it's, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you don't necessarily need to even question it. Uh, that's, uh, it just, yeah, it is, it is a, it is a nice thing once you land on that, on that mm-hmm. nice, but you know, on that position, that's both fast and comfortable where you right. can run off the bike. That's kind of like, you know, exactly. the holy grail of it. Yeah. But probably yeah. a big part of that is the amount of time you spend in that position on the trainer. So mm. how do you actually motivate yourself? Cause I find it's so <laughs> difficult when you're indoors to, to stay in the aero position. People hate the trainer and they hate aero position on the trainer. And I don't know. I mean, I don't see it as a problem, but it's kind of like, what is my problem? I'm very strange. Um, I kind of think it's from all my years of swimming and staring at a black line. Like, you know, I was in the pool for 20 hours a week swimming up and down and that's pretty boring. And so I feel like now I get on the trainer and I'm like, oh yeah, six hour ride. I get to watch TV or watch a movie or listen to music. It's easy. (laughs) I don't know. It really just does not bother me. And I don't know. I just, yeah. It just doesn't bother me and I'm comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It's another way you're lucky, I guess. And maybe sure. because you do it so often is why you're so comfortable. And it's, you know, the people who are on and off and not always doing it that end up uh, hating it because, yeah. well, you have to reacclimate yourself every time you're getting ready for a race. And I used to be terrible for that. I've gotten better, but I used to be yeah. <laughs> absolutely horrible for maintaining arrow position. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. So you get me outside and 
I am always super sore. Like my arms are sore. Like, <laughs> like it's a lot different because I never, like I probably go outside. I haven't been outside on my bike since Ironman Hamburg, which was four and a half weeks ago. Hmm. And I have a race this weekend. <laughs> and so like, I should probably go right outside. So I feel like <laughs> I'm the opposite of most people. Um, but yeah, so I find I get sore in kind of different places when I go outside. Um, well, it's the same principle, right? Same principle applies. It's it's yeah. lack of familiarization. Right. But I think you guys are you guys are spot on, and in in kind of you know putting my coach hat on, um, it's something I've been yelling at my at the folks I work with about quite a bit when we're doing. And we've actually switched doing some really high quality stuff in Arrow, which where before you know if I was doing work well above threshold, yeah. um, that I would be like you know we'll we'll test sitting up and we'll we'll train sitting up. But I've I've done a I've done a one eighty on that um, after talking to. Dan Bigham, who was on the show, who was like, you know, was the TT specialist. And he's like, nope, 95% in arrow all the time. And <laughs> and it's like, this is what I, this is how I race. And this is how I'm going to train. And mm -hmm. unless there's like a very, very specific reason not to do it, um, right. you know, why wouldn't you do it in arrow? Why wouldn't you get yeah. comfortable in it and build the muscles and build the, you know, like the, all the different muscles that are involved in holding you in position, postural, obviously the hips work a little bit different. Uh, so I think there's every reason in the world to train as much as possible and, and do it early. I used to think that ah, in the winter I'll sit up and then once, once the race season rolls around, <laughs> then I'll start going into arrow. And there was always like a massive adjustment period. Mm -hmm. right. And why, why even have that adjustment period? Why not just be, get comfortable in it right away and you're absolutely i think you're both spot on like it does take quite a bit of time to to adjust to it to get comfy in it but once you're in there it's it's worth it yeah exactly especially when you're doing ironmans i mean yeah. and people are biking for you know a lot of age groupers are biking eight nine hours and Mm -hmm. Man, if you're not comfortable, it's going to be a problem. It's <laughs> going to be a very long day, even longer. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, winter is coming up, so get ready for some arrow position. That's the perfect time to start practicing it, right? Because you don't have to worry about like where you what you can see. You 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 can do more things with your neck. You can move your head around a little bit more. There's there's actually in in some ways it's easier indoors, and I'm mm -hmm. sure you would agree, Lauren, having heard your your take on it. Um, yeah. yeah, get me outside. I'm just anxious and petrified, and just trying not to die. So. Well, to be honest, I was, uh, and I mentioned this in the emails when we were reconnecting there, but I was a little anxious for you watching the Hamburg connect, uh, the oh, coverage God. there when that van pulled onto the course in between the police escort and you, and then all of a sudden tried to make a left turn and almost cut you off. Like, I, Oh, I know. I knew it was going to happen. Like I had in my head. So I think I had already maybe started slowing down. And then of course with the rain. So I like slam on my brakes, my back wheel, like goes all over the place. And I think after that, for a whole lap, I was just petrified. So like huh. my turns, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go one mile an hour. And yeah, I was so embarrassed because I'm like, oh, the camera's on me and everyone's watching me like barely turn my bike. But oh, well. <laughs> well, this is a great segue into into what I want to talk to you about next on the on the bike, <laughs> on sticking on the bike topic. Uh, I noticed, um, you know, follow you on Instagram, of course, that you've uh, you've been doing some gravel racing. And so this is this is always an interesting topic for me uh, because, you know, triathletes have this. You know, the the roadies all make fun of us as 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 inept bike handlers, and then whenever <laughs> usually athletes, true, usually <laughs> true. Yeah. Reference I'm, the I'm, coverage from Ironman Texas <laughs> when uh, there were pelotons of uh, people in aero position and bikes flying like, everywhere. Oh 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you know, whenever I, I start riding with roadies, or especially if I'm doing gravel, I'm like, oh, my skill, my uh, my technical skills are severely lacking here. So I'm curious to hear your uh, your experience with gravel, and then first of all, like what 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 made you? Other than that, there's a you know a shiny Ventum gravel bike <laughs> these days, but other than sponsorship spots, um, wh- why did you why did you decide to do some gravel riding, and then how did you find it? Yeah, I mean. As you can imagine, as someone who rides the trainer all the time, my biking skills are pretty awful. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, maybe that's why I don't like riding outside and here in the mountains. I'm like, I have to go down a hill. It's scary. Um, So it is very uncomfortable for me to get off the road. Um, We have a little gravel trail here that I used to think was so difficult and I was so scared to ride on it. And now after doing some races and some more gravel <laughs> riding, I'm like, oh, this is the easiest trail in the world. Um, yeah, I think kind of what sparked my interest was, one, I think COVID kind of helped me get out and do some other things because I wasn't prepping for a race. Mm-hmm. So we're like, oh yeah, get out on the gravel bike, just go explore, go do whatever you want. And um, so you kind of had that, the opportunity to do some more non-specific riding. And my husband is very into gravel riding right now. He's been racing just all the time. He's probably done like 10 races this year. And so I think part of me doing, no, the only reason I raced a few weeks ago. <laughs> Let's, was, be uh, <laughs> Let's be honest here. It was a 105 mile race a week after coming back from Ironman Hamburg. So I had just traveled back home. Um, only reason I did that was because of my husband just saying, oh, I want to do an adventure with you. It will be fun. <laughs> That's <laughs> last word. <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, it's really, it's not that bad of a race. It will be great. I'm like, okay, I will just go out. I'll have a great little ride. Like not think about actually racing. So the day starts and the first part's on the road. And of course, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to stay with the group, which includes my husband, who, of course, I can't ride with. And so we're like going up this hill. I get like my one ma- my one minute, like all time best power, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like my third best, like 10 minute. I'm like, what are you doing? And stop. And um, so once we got I was kind of having fun with the group. Um, there were other people riding with me, which was I had gotten dropped from the front pack, but riding with other people then we turn onto the gravel and then it's like oh yeah I really I'm an awful rider on the gravel and I was just just got dropped and I'm just riding by myself for the next seven hours um and it was insane like in my head I'm like yeah this I'm used to this nice little gravel trail that's you know <laughs> not many hills but it's really nice fine gravel kind of pretty much more like riding on a road and I'm riding and I'm like, holy hell, how can I even be riding? Like, I need a mountain bike for this because I was so scared I was going to break the bike. Um, yes, the Ventum gravel bike is very good. You can go over boulders. You can do single track. You can do all of these things, which you think you wouldn't be able to. And yeah, I um, at sections going through sandy sections and my bike's flying everywhere. I'm like, wow. Oh, this is just intense. (laughs) um, I had to walk my bike up some hills, down some hills, 
and I was out there for yeah over seven hours. It was it was quite the experience, but it is so fun. And I think that is why, like, I don't think I, even though it is way out of my comfort zone and my bike handling skills, I was shown how poor they are. I had so much fun the whole time. And, you know, here you are coming up to aid stations. They're like, ah, oh, do you want a beer? Do you want a whiskey shot? I'm like, oh, yeah, probably not. But <laughs> like the gravel community is just incredible. And these races are so much fun. And it's like a party all weekend long. And, you know, we did like a little expo event, just my husband and I sitting at the expo tent for Ventum and nice. just talking with everyone. Like people just love to ride their bikes. and. It was so fun to be a part of that. And so I definitely, when it works out, I never again want to do a long gravel race the weekend after an Ironman, but um, I definitely want to do more because they are so much fun. And it is incredible what gravel bikes can do. <laughs> Let me tell you that. <laughs> we should uh, we should put a link to Ventum in the show notes here, <laughs> given how much we're Back talking about gravel the bike. <laughs> I was going to say, Dia, if you're listening, your uh, your sponsored athlete is doing her, her best. Yeah, <laughs> course, don't break this. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, so much fun. And I think um, another big part of gravel riding is I feel like it's safer. I mean, in a lot of places there aren't cars or there's very few cars. And so mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of a nice it's maybe a little bit more relaxing and you're maybe a little bit more comfortable just kind of being off the road and getting to kind of explore new places. Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard that reasoning from a lot of people actually who've gotten into gravel racing saying yeah. it's just safer. You don't have to worry about cars. You don't have to worry about traffic. Right. And like there's been a huge explosion in popularity. And I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, where I live um, and I'm sure Texas was a little bit the same. There's lots of big vehicles and people don't care much for cyclists. Um, right. So <laughs> there's a few issues there. So gravel is yeah. a more comfortable place to be. Yeah, exactly. And depending on where you live, I mean, where we are in Utah, there are so many gravel trails. And while I still haven't gotten off kind of the easier paths, like I kind of feel like after that race, oh, maybe I can handle some, you know, a little bit of single track or, you know, a little bit more. And yeah, there's just so much to explore. So hopefully I can do more of that. Oh, it sounds super fun. On a similar vein, though, have you ever tried trail running? Have you ever um, gotten off the the normal paths and done something a little bit more intense? Because Michael just did a recap of a was a sixty five kilometer race that uh, that he did that was mm-hmm. way more than he expected. Yes. Which there's yes. a lot of parallels with your <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, this race is easy. Oh my god, you're going yeah. up a mountain. <laughs> yeah, you know it, and that's actually something during COVID that I started doing more of. Like I'd. I'm not someone who can run a lot. I get injured pretty easily. And so, Mm -hmm. but something that I was loving doing were like these two hour trail runs, just yeah, out and about, not worrying about pace. And I mean, your pace is so slow for trail running, right? Mm -hmm. Because (laughs) you're like, oh, that's not an 11 minute mile. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fast mile. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't really go very far, but it's, so fun. I absolutely loved it. I think the only thing that I learned was, okay, I need to have like a camel back or something mm-hmm. because yeah, yeah, if you get lost or like, you know, those two hour runs, you're like, oh, I actually need some water and need to take care of myself. But oh, same thing, like 
just so much fun doing something different. And um, I think it's really good to like strength wise to do trail running. So I try. Yeah. So I love still doing trail runs when I can. Um, Yeah. We've beaten this drum on the show before. I know I I certainly have, but like even for, for dedicated road runners, trail running from like mental and physical development is amazing. Like it's, it's such a win. Like even if you can, you know, pepper it into your training, I'm a huge, huge fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and a 65k. Okay. Yeah, that's quite the run. Yeah. Well, run we, is, used, we used we yeah. used the run. Yeah, Andrew was going to say we used the term run loosely. Whatever. Yeah, there's there's definitely a, a very healthy amount of walking in that race. As there should be. That's that's a long day. Yeah. So Lauren, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for for taking the time to join us today and to uh, you know, uh, share your stories and all the laughs about <laughs> about your history in the sport and then and then like the more recent things. Um, in the meantime, um, where can people follow along with, uh, Lauren Brandon and everything that, that she's up to? Yeah. I think the best place to follow me is on Instagram. I think it's at Lauren B. Brandon. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll put a link in the notes yeah. just for yeah, anyone who doesn't want to take notes. Probably what I'm on the most and, you yeah. know, always happy if I get requests to answer questions or say hi, whatever, reach out. Thanks. And then, uh, you, you're racing, uh, soon. You mentioned the race? I am. I have 70.3 Memphis this weekend. And then in mm. four weeks, I will do 70.3 Oceanside. And then possibly an Ironman. We will see. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how I feel about doing another one in the next couple of weeks as we ramp up <laughs> training and see if I want to do one. But yeah. <laughs> by the time this comes out, Memphis will probably be in the rear view for us. Um, but uh, yeah, Oceanside will be yeah. will be a race that you, you, you know, listeners, you can follow uh, Lauren along with. Yeah. Well, I think you've certainly lived up to uh, to my, I guess, supposition that you're the happiest triathlete <laughs> and the the most fun person to be around. Um, so thank you for bringing this, you know, excellent sense of humor and excellent mentality and, and outlook on life. Um, it's always great to talk to you, and it's always always fun, and it always makes me feel very humbled just with uh, looking at you and how how nice of a person you are, but also how successful you've been. Oh, well, thank you guys. This is fun. I feel like I haven't done a podcast in a while. So great to talk to you guys. I appreciate it. And that was a fun one. Well, Lauren, thanks again. And uh, thank you also to all of you, our listeners, for continuing to tune in. Uh, if you like what you heard, then tell a friend, give us a rating and a review on iTunes, and uh, also consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's at patreon.com slash endurance innovation. Thanks, everyone. How can you not love Dia? <laughs> right? I don't know. He's definitely the most recognizable CEO I've ever seen. Well, you can spot his hair across any distance. <laughs> uh, he's hilarious. I saw a picture the other day of him. He had straightened his hair. I don't know. Oh, no. what, I don't know when this was. Can it you was please find this picture for us? <laughs>